4. Numbers chapter 24. You ever wondered about any prophetic connection between um, the star that God created specifically for his son? What would you like for Christmas this year? Would you like a tool? Would you like a scarf? How would you like a star? Isn't that amazing that the Lord has up his sleeve many amazing presents? Jesus' son gets a star, a special star. Yes, it was a miracle. God is a God of miracles. <clears throat> well, we believe that this prophecy that's spoken from the mouth of a false prophet and God's sovereignty has a connection with the star that the wise men from the east. We don't know if there were three. That's legend because of the three gifts mentioned. I don't think that Herod and the city of Jerusalem would have been too troubled if just three came into town. There may have been 10 or 20 or 50 for all we know. And we don't know that they were kings. It just says they were magi, they were wise men, probably from India, out, way out east. And they've come and they, they figured that the Messiah would be born in Jerusalem because it's the capital city, it's the city of David. He would be a son of David, a descendant of David, and so that was their assumption. They lost sight of the star when they came toward the capital city. Is there a message there? You lose the light when you come into a place where there are a lot of human beings who are lost in sin. The more concentration of human beings there are, the more sin we're going to find. Sin is in the suburbs. Don't let us be blinded by that. But sin is especially in the cities where sinners are concentrated. But wherever we go, we bring our sinfulness with us, don't we? We looked at the uh, ministry of Balaam, he was a false prophet and God used him temporarily just like he used the donkey that spoke. And as Balaam should have asked the donkey why and how he was speaking, so would Israel wonder why was Balaam speaking when he was a uh, false prophet and he was for hire, as it were, he rode his donkey with a sign saying, for money, I'll tell you anything you want to know, anything you want to hear, any curse upon anybody, just give me money, and I'll, I'm here for hire. And that's the state of often many clergy today. Do you know that there are, there are clergy that will only take a church if they have a certain amount of salary? They're not in it for the call from God. They're in it for the money. Merchandising of the word of God. 
Well, God used Balaam to speak this wonderful, I believe, Christmas prophecy in Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24, verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheph, where Sheph may mean tumult, children of tumult. Again, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Tumult. Little did Balaam know that he will see the star one day, but as the judge, at judgment day, But you and I who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the sun, S-U-N, the star of righteousness, we shall see him as Savior, Savior King. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. That's saying it's not going to happen soon. It's going to happen in the future. So he's speaking prophetically. It's a prophecy regarding what this people will do in the latter days, as he said to Balak, the king of Moab. In other words, it will be, not as the Mormons say, but it will be for latter-day saints. We are in the latter days. Ever since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, these are the last days. And we're now in the last of the last days. We're closer than ever before. He says, there shall come a star out of Jacob. Jesus has many names and metaphors and as prophet, priest, and king. No one metaphor, no one name can capture all his character and all his work, all his glory. And so there are hundreds of of pictures of Jesus in these metaphors and and statements about him that just amaze us with the fact that he must be such a glorious person. Isaiah said that the people that dwell in darkness will see a great light. And Jesus is the star that shone at his birth and beyond, didn't he? There are many Christmas prophecies. These are predictions about Jesus' birth and early childhood that just are amazingly various and uh, varied and accurate. We're told in Genesis chapter 3 that he would be the seed of the woman, which is a seeming contradiction takes a man and a woman to bring forth a child. But the Messiah would be the seed of the woman. He would not have a human father, a biological father. Joseph was called his father, but that's because he 
was the, 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 the stepfather, if you will, the, the surrogate father. He was the, the parent of Jesus while he was in the home. And the carpenter that teach Jesus carpentry. In Isaiah, it says specifically, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so there it, it connects with the seed of the woman. Not just a young woman. No doubt Mary was young. Some think she may have been only about 15. But that she would be a virgin. And that her child would be not just human, but his name would be called, his character would be of God. God with us. Emmanuel. Whether it begins with an I or an E. Isaiah later says, Unto us a child is born, that's Jesus, the human Jesus, and unto us a son is given, that's the Son of God. And he would be, divinity and humanity would be united, not not mixed. He's not half man and half God. He's fully God, first of all, he was always God. He became man, but he's fully man as well as fully God. I don't understand that. I don't think we'll ever understand, stand under that as if we, we, we can get a grasp of how someone can have two natures and be one person. And even if I was also a grasshopper, it still would be two creatures. I don't know how it would look to be a human and a grasshopper at the same time. But that would be a miracle, wouldn't it, if we were a human and a bug. But yet God is the creator who became creature. Does that still amaze us? To think that when they saw Jesus, they saw God. There was God walking. That's God talking. There had to have been people after a while when they were saved and when they were being taught just sitting there. That's God. Won't it be wonderful to interview Joseph and Mary? Tell us what it was like to have a perfect human being that that never disobeyed you. Or you may have thought he disobeyed you, but you ended up saying, no, we, we didn't give the right directions or we misunderstood. It, was all, it would always come back on them if they ever thought, like Mary did later. Remember, the, they thought he was insane because he, he, was, he was causing crowds to uh, assemble. Mary had to learn that, no, Jesus would never sin. He is the Son of God. He's the wonder of a counselor, Isaiah would say. Whenever he counseled, it was always perfect counsel. It was always perfect advice. There are times when you and I may have directed somebody and it was ended up being a misdirection. Never Jesus. Whatever he said was true, was, was, was perfect, was the best advice. He was mighty God. Don't let the Jehovah Witnesses tell you, well, he's not almighty God. That's the description of God. He's mighty God. He's almighty God. He's everlasting Father. That's not a contradiction with the Father. 
It's just saying he is the eternal one who gathers his children. Under him shall the gathering of the people be like a father gathers his family. He's fatherly in that sense. He's the prince of peace. He not only, it's no ceasefire when Jesus saves sinners. A ceasefire means that a war could, could occur again soon. Israel and, and, and uh, Hamas had a ceasefire, but then they returned to war. Ceasefire is not peace. When Jesus brings peace, he removes the hostility from our hearts and he replaces it with tranquility, the peace that comes from God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. Micah told us that he would come from Bethlehem, not from Jerusalem. It doesn't say, and thou Jerusalem, out of thee shall he come forth. Thou Bethlehem. And that's how Herod knew that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And that's why he was afraid that, that the one who's born king of the Jews is not in this town. It's not in the capital city. And they had to say to the Magi, keep moving. But isn't it amazing that Herod the king didn't go with them? Why didn't he go with them if he was that concerned that a rival king was now in existence? Obviously, God's power to keep him from thinking in that direction. But perhaps he's just too proud even to to follow magi from the east, dirty Gentiles, as it were. Well, he was an Edomite, still prejudiced. But Micah said he would be born in Bethlehem, and that's where he was born. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in Nazareth, where... He would grow up a little town, a little town of Bethlehem. That's where he was born. God said it would be true hundreds of years before. And Mary is great with child, a day's journey in the north. How is it going to happen? Is there a threat to Micah's prophecy? Is God going to be proven false? Oh no, God will move a man, a Caesar. He, he, God is ruler over the Caesars. He moved Caesar Augustus to issue a decree to take a census of the people. And you've got to go to your, your, your origins. You've got to go to your nativity cities. And David was born in Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary were from Judah. So they went to Bethlehem, even though she it risked her having a premature birth or the loss of her child. God prevented that from happening. Think about what it was like to ride a donkey and you're great with child, those of you who have had children. I can remember when Tanya was expecting our firstborn, Jessica, and we would travel from Orchard Park to Holland on Sunday mornings when we first started here in Buffalo. We went to church in the mornings in Holland. You know what it's like going from Orchard Park to Holland over the hills. And she, I, was, I thought almost every time we traveled to Holland that she was going to have the baby. And, and it was horrible. And we ended up driving separately 
And I was driving very slowly on those Sunday mornings until January 17, 1987, when she was relieved. Oh, you can imagine, Mary, the feeling of, have you ever been on a donkey or a horse and you're, and you're going over dirt roads and often mounds and over hills, the hills of Judea? It was a miracle. I would believe it would be a miracle that she didn't have Jesus on the way, that God prevented it. Psalm 45 says he would be called God. Isaiah 11, that he would be the rod of Jesse. And then Hosea tells us that he would come from Egypt. He would would come out of Egypt. And we're thinking, how does he get to Egypt? He's a Jew. He's raised in Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem, the capital city of Jerusalem. How are are they going to get him to Egypt? How is that prophecy going to be fulfilled? Again, God uses a wicked king. As he used Caesar Augustus, he used Herod's wrath. And Joseph and Mary, who were poor, remember, they offer two birds instead of a lamb and a bird when they go to Jerusalem. They only could afford birds. But what did the wise men bring? Later, after they could only afford birds, they brought gold frankincense, and myrrh. What do you think the gold was used for? The trip to Egypt and the sojourn in Egypt. Isn't it amazing how the Lord provides our needs? And yet we have to understand, brother and sister, that the first martyrs were the infants around Bethlehem, two years old and younger. How many of those died for Jesus? They died And Jesus lives. Jesus dies so that we can live. Now there are people dying for Jesus, just like the infants did. Like those suffering in prisons right now is simply because they're Christians, because they've tried to hand a Bible to someone. And there have been many, many Christians who've died like those infants in Bethlehem for Jesus. All of these are prophecies. He would be from Judah, Genesis 49. He would be called Shiloh, which means he whose right it is. And unto him would be the gathering or the obedience of the people. He would come in a time of great darkness and the shadow of death. And that's exactly what it was like. The Roman uh, Empire, the Romans were treacherous, ruthless. The Israelites were subjected to the Romans. He would be a root out of the dry ground. and It tells us in Isaiah 53, there'd be no former comeliness. You know, I know we think that every baby is cute. But we have to admit, some babies aren't so cute. (laughs) But the Bible says he would have no former comeliness. And I don't think that's spiritualizing. Of all the people that could... Choose the face. He chose a face that wasn't handsome. That's how we conclude that. And he chose a death where he would be so tortured they wouldn't even recognize him as a human being. He didn't choose a quick death of a knife 
to slit, to, to sever his, his artery. He chose a death where he'd be six hours impaled, alive, to show us what our sins deserved. You know, it says that a thousand years to God is one day and vice versa. And as many thoughts, certainly about the immensity of God and the attributes of God, but that tells us of many things that he can do in one day what we think can only happen in a thousand years. And that's the amazing thing to think about. Jesus could suffer in six hours. What we would think that would take thousands of years to save sinners. In six hours, Jesus was able to make atonement for every human being from day one, Abel, slain by his brother Cain, to the last person that's saved on this earth before Jesus comes. What a savior. What power was in his atoning work. Daniel says he would be the son of man. That's not just simply saying, I I understand the logic. Son of God means he's God. Son of man means means he's man. But that's not exactly true. Son of man is actually a, a, a designation of deity. If you read in Daniel 7, the son of man comes in the clouds of heaven. He's called the ancient of days. So the son of man is actually another designation of the fact that he is God. He is the perfect Man, because he is perfect God. So on and on it goes. Malachi, the last book, 400 years before the birth of Christ, he, he is called the S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness. And so we have the Star of Jacob in Numbers, and we have the Son of Righteousness in Malachi. It's not a coincidence that God made a star for Jesus so that the, the Magi could follow exactly, you know, to go exactly where, where the Messiah would be born. And I can't understand a star that doesn't burn up people that are so close to earth. God knows all these. He can prevent that from happening. I mean, he put the sun where it's so perfect condition where we aren't burned up and we aren't frozen. And yet man thinks this all happened a lie. It's just unbelief. And even in the New Testament you have prophecies that he would be born of a virgin. Gabriel told Mary before she conceived and Joseph after she conceived that this would be a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Luke we're told that Jesus would be great, the son of the highest, and the thro- have the fr- throne of his father David. He would, he would reign forever. His kingdom would have no end. He would be called the son of God, and he would be the light to lighten the Gentiles. And you see those, those references to his, his, his illumination, to his power to reveal the darkness and to dispel it at the same time. Jesus is the star of Jacob. Many stars were made on the fourth day to give light upon the earth. 
But there's one of many, as it were, that outshines them all. Jesus is the greater light, isn't he? To rule the day and to rule the night. Those that are in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, Joseph and Mary got to see it firsthand. The shepherds went and saw the great light. Oh, what a a warming and lightening of their hearts. And the Magi, what does it say when they saw Jesus? It says they saw Joseph and Mary and they saw Jesus, but it doesn't say they worshiped Mary. It says they worshiped him. They worshiped Jesus. Mary is not a a mediatrix, a female bridge between God and man. She's a sinner saved by grace. She's our sister. She would protest any worship of her if she could be here. Mary was born again. She was a Christian. She worshipped Jesus. And she is worshipping Jesus today. She's not coming up to Jesus and saying, Son, do this and do that for me. She is bowing down. What wilt thou have me to do? You want me part of the choir over here, over there? He's the star of Jacob. There shall come a star out of Jacob. No doubt about it. And isn't it interesting? He's called the star out of Jacob. Jacob was uh, the sinful name of that man, Jacob. His name was, was changed to Israel, prince of God, but he was Jacob. The word Jacob means deceiver, conniver. When his brother came out of the womb first, they were twins, Jacob grabbed a hold of Esau's heel. And they called him Jacob. And oh, he was a conniver. His brother was hungry after going out in the field and hunting. And Jacob was preparing soup, as it were. And Esau said, could I have some soup? Jacob, what a conniver. You got to pay for it, brother. Give Give me your birthright. So Jacob was in the wrong, but so was Esau. He counted his birthright. He wasn't going to die. His mother would have made him soup, or he would have made venison soup. He'd just been pretty hungry to do so. But he sold his birthright. But Jacob was a conniver. God loves to be called the Savior of sinners. He's not the Savior of, of the righteous. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Is that beneath you or me to be called a sinner? We have highly offended God. It's cosmic crime to to break one of God's commandments. It's an insult to him. And he loves to save those who have insulted him. But he changes us from sinners into saints. Jesus comes out of the church, Jacob. He's a light to lighten the Gentiles. And you see, he did not just come for the Jews. Simeon, Luke 2, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles. The Old Testament, you can't read the Old Testament without seeing that God loves to save Gentiles. I mean, Abraham wasn't a Jew. He became the father of the Jews. He was an idolater. Noah, Adam, all of them, Job, 
Melchizedek. They were all sinners that needed to be saved. And Jesus is the son of righteousness that arises like the sun rose. Well, however you describe it, we call it, we say it rose. But isn't it the, the earth that turned? But whatever it is, Jesus is the son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings. You ever been just so cold and you just go into a window with the sun shining in it? Oh, it's so, so wonderful. Or you're, or you're just, you're, you're feeling low, you're feeling weak, and you just go outside and sit on a seat in the sunlight. And it's, what's the word? It's soothing, it's medicinal. Remember reading of Spurgeon, how they would tell him, because he, he had, his health was failing, he, he, he was to go to the south of England to the shores so he could get some warm weather and some rays of the sun. And the rays of the sun are so soothing. And what's the word I want to use? Medicinal. Uh, what's the word? It's healing. healing. It's, yes. Isn't Jesus? You know, your, your heart is down. You, you, you're, you're, you're mourning over your sin. And you, you're getting tired of a, a world that just is dripping in wickedness. But when you come to the Bible and you read the words of Jesus, it's soothing to your soul. It warms your heart. It dispels the darkness. Don't neglect the Bible. Read the Bible. Read it with love. Read it with confession of sins. Read it with, with listening hearts. Read it to realize it's the sunlight coming to your soul. He's righteous, the son of righteousness. He causes righteousness. He heals and comes with healing in his wings. He is the sunlight. He is the sunlight. Jesus exposes the darkness. Repent, he says, and believe the gospel. And then he dispels it. He shall save his people from their sin. Thy sins be forgiven thee, he said to people. He's the savior of the world, not just of the Jews. He heals the soul and recovers our health. Like Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. No wonder why we read, we have seen his star in the east. That star was an emblem, a symbol of the one who was laid in the manger and was now in Bethlehem after 40 days. His star, we're told three times, chapter two, verse three, his star. Verse nine, the star, behold the star. In verse 10, they saw the star. You see how Luke loves to just hammer away at these truths? Just like he says manger three times. Manger, manger, manger in Luke chapter um. Two. What he's saying there is, can you believe it? That the king is in a manger? And now, as it were, Matthew is saying, star, star, star. That's the one who is in the manger. He is the king. He's, like he said in John, one of the I am's. What did Jesus say in John, is it chapter 8? I am the light of the world. 
You see the connections. And in Revelation, he's called the bright and the morning. Yes, he's the bright and the morning star. Jesus is the star that lightens our darkness. His glory emanates from him as the Son of God. Secondly, he's the star that holds the scepter. He's Jesus' scepter of Israel. The scepter is a, is a symbol of a king holding a scepter. It's the symbol of a king. And the psalmist said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Hebrews tells a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The scepter that is the kingship shall not depart from Judah, Genesis 49, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That's a, a, a designation of the Messiah. Until the one whose right it is shall come, and unto him shall the obedience, gathering A.V., but the obedience of the people be. He'll make us willing in the day of his power as the king. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He doesn't share it with anyone. Jesus is the head of the church. Of every representation of his church on earth, he is the head. The government is on his shoulder. And he has shoulders strong enough to hold up every single one of his people. The increase of his government and his peace shall there be no end to order it, to establish it with just judgment and justice from this time forth and forevermore. Remember what the Gabriel said, his reign is forever and his kingdom has no end. And the psalmist says, I think it's David, Psalm 2, you, yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. What does a king do? A prophet preaches, brings the message. The priest offers, mediates between God and man. The king subdues a people to himself by war. Christ warred on our behalf. He, he smote the devil. He crushed his head. And unto him shall the obedience of the people be. It is the word obedience. It's the word that's used also in Proverbs 30, verse 17. The person that despises to obey his mother, the raven shall pluck out his eyes. You talk about graphic language, but what God feels about us dishonoring our parents. But Jesus will not just cause us to be religious outwardly. He'll change our hearts so that we're obedient. If you love me, Jesus says, you will Keep, you will obey my commandments. Thy people shall be willing in the day of your power, Psalm 110. Micah says he will be ruler in Israel. Psalm 22, the psalm of the cross ends with these words in part. All the ends of the earth shall turn unto the Lord and his kingdom, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. What a wonderful description. Among the nations. They would scoff if, if Biden were here and, and Putin and, and Kim Jong-un, if they're all in here, we said Jesus is the governor of the nations, they'd scoff. But they're going to come time to die. Then what? 
Jesus isn't dying anymore. Jesus rose from the dead. All the Caesars are still dead. Hitler's dead. How many presidents are dead? They're not risen from the dead. See, Jesus is sitting on the throne of heaven. He is the governor among the nations. He'll outlast them all. Oh, we don't see it now. But if the Lord would open our eyes and see that there are myriads of angels that are protecting God's people and and wrestling with the demons, and oh, there's more that are for us than against us. That one angel can slay 185,000 soldiers like that. He is the king that subdues a people and rules us. It's not just subduing us and saving us, but what a power that from the day we get saved, he's ruling over us when we would just make wrecks of our lives. Many enemies that want to destroy God's people, and yet he's ruling over us. He's protecting us. With righteousness, he judges the poor. It says with a righteous scepter. He's not ruthless. Jesus is not cavalier. He's not, he doesn't change one day. One day he's mean, the next day. No, he's always the same for his people. That, therefore, he's going to chasten us. He's a faithful father, a faithful savior, a, a faithful Lord. It says, he leadeth them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's the king of righteousness. Melchizedek Literally, the king of righteousness. Jesus is the star of Jacob and the scepter of Israel. And even though there's not a symbol, a third symbol here, there is a third thought. It says he, and people don't want to hear this, they like the star and they like the scepter, but they don't like the fact that he will smite the corners of Moab. People want a domesticated Jesus, a domesticated God. They don't want to hear the fact that God is going to judge. And again, here's the danger of Christmas, that people only see a baby. Babies don't threaten. People aren't afraid of babies. But he's not a baby anymore. God used Balaam to say this Messiah is going to smite like a king has to smite his enemies. And it wouldn't be long before Balaam would have a sword thrust through his heart when the Israelites discovered that he was hired and he earned his money by teaching the Israelites to commit fornication with the Moabites and to worship Baal. One day, Jesus is not going to stand as a baby or even as someone like in Jerusalem saying, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's where he is now. Come while you may. I'm like a a chicken gathering chicks now. But the day is going to come where he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the Moabites should have known 
God was not going to let the Israelites smite Moab because they were relatives. And yet the Moabites wanted to smite the Israelites and to curse them. He'll smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Tumult. See, the kings have to protect their people, build walls around their cities, protect them from the enemies invading. David was a man of war. He stepped up to fight Goliath when no one else would do it. Jesus defeated Goliath. And every would-be invader of the church, Jesus is an enemy to the invaders. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Over and over he tells his writers, Peter and Paul, warn about false teachers and worldliness in the church. Jesus will come to smite, even in the church. Judgment begins at the house of God. And he says to the churches in Asia Minor, Revelation 2 and 3, you better get rid of Jezebel and Balaam in the church or I'll come with a sword of my mouth. And you wonder why at times the church is dealt a blow from on high because of our sins. He shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, Isaiah 11, 4. The wrath of, with the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. And even here in Numbers 24, verse 8, it says that God will, through Israel, Messiah, pierce through with his arrows. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, Psalm 45. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath, Psalm 110. He will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's not, that's not easy language. But man, the judgment day is not going to be, it's not going to be a picnic. The Bible says that whosoever's name was not written in the book of life was hurled into a lake of fire. Cast sounds kind in the authorized version. It's thrown. I know what it's like to be thrown, kicked. And I deserved it. I got in a wreck with my brother's car because of drugs and wickedness. And he kicked me down the stairs from the kitchen to the back door and kicked me out the back door and kicked me on top of his car. That was the beginning of God working in my heart. Thank God of the days when he kicks us, chastens us to himself. He'll pierce through with his arrows. Listen to these words. You know, people say the Old Testament is a God of wrath, the New Testament is a God of love. Here's a New Testament verse, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on them that, that, that obey not the gospel, and believe not on the Lord. Revelation, his vesture is dipped in blood. Jude says the Lord comes with ten thousands of his angels 
uh, sent thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon the ungodly. Three or four times it speaks about the ungodly being judged. And it speaks of Jesus slain with the sword of his mouth. Israel never sought to seek, he never sought to curse Moab, but Moab sought to curse them. And they hired one to teach God's people to, number one, offer sacrifices to idols and to commit fornication. And the devil's no friend of the church. He wants there to be sin in the camp. He wants us to sin against God. He wants us to have idols, to worship materialism and comfort and luxury. He wants us to sin against God. See, God can't curse us because Christ took a took our curse for us. But the devil knows what God will do to sin the believers who sin. He's going to chasten us. And the devil wants God to chasten us. He hates God and he wants us to sin. May I say, to live for the Lord, to live holy lives is honorable to God. And it's a punch in the face to the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. God is holy. I want to be holy. I want to be holy. I want to be like the Lord because he saved me from my sins. It's the height of of disrespect and unthankfulness to sin against the holy God. Drill that into me to the rest of my days, brother and sister. Be holy as thou art holy. What a Savior. The star, the scepter, and the smiter. Jesus is the Christ of Christmas. Amen. Thank you for this prophecy, this glorious picture of our Savior and King and our Judge. Lord Jesus, how we underestimate you. and By our lives, we show the world that you aren't worthy of worship and respect and fear. Because we often live so. We are often worldly. Our, our, our idols are numerous, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Oh, let this be a new beginning for all of us. Thank you that you came as a baby. And they worship thee as a baby because you, the Son of God, but yet you grew. Lord, how we love to read of how you amazed the doctors, the teachers in Jerusalem at the age of 12. And what a challenge to all of our young people to be hungry for your word. And and though, Lord, we know that boys and girls like to play, oh, that our, our young people would love to worship and remain asking and answering questions and just hungry and thirsty for the truth. Lord, make us all that way. We can't get enough of your word, enough of your presence, enough of church. Oh God, please, 
pour out your spirit upon us. Lighten our hearts. Cause light to shine. Not light, Lord, that we would be frivolous. But, oh, Lord, that you would dispel our darkness and enlighten our souls. Lord Jesus, you're the son of righteousness. Trust you are, have risen to shine into our hearts today to teach us your word. Let us not forget what we've heard, but go forward. Live with the day in mind when you will come to smite the earth with a curse. You will judge the, the world in righteousness. The Lord cometh. He cometh to judge the world. Judge the world in righteousness and the people with his truth. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us close by singing as the shepherds experienced, as the wise men, joy to the world because the Lord has come. Number 92.